Hello and welcome everybody to episode 130 of Dominari's Judgment. I'm Ari Lax and here with me in our now at this point traditional pre-Pro Tour episode uh, is Jarvis Yu for some Pro Tour predictions. How's it going Jarvis? It's going pretty well. Um, I'm looking forward to going to Chicago. I'm not really looking forward to how cold it will be but you know it comes with the territory right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was colder where we're at than Chicago today. Well, that's... Like, it was 50 in Chicago, and it was 30 when I woke up. So, uh, it might actually be about the same or better. Oh, well, let's let's hope for some nice weather so we uh, don't have to freeze to death walking the Windy City. Listen, even if you're cold, there's an unlimited amount of uh, pizza casserole that you can consume to warm <laughs> you up, is my understanding of the city. Right. Yeah. Uh, I will also be in attendance, and Dom Harvey has been there for a while testing for, I guess, this Pioneer format that people will be playing, but um, we'll both be playing the standard 75k, which at this point is weirdly looking like it's going to be sparsely attended, but also could just be an artifact of, like, everyone not clicking the button that actually registers them yet. Yeah, um, I mean, people are notorious about registering late, even when they shouldn't, because... You know, the badges being bought sold out faster than this tournament. So it's it's very funny to me if maybe what the limiting factor is, is the badge count. Yeah, I don't really understand what that actually means, but I'm not going to worry about it because I obtained a badge, even if, like, I had to... You know what? I'm not going to talk about it. Yep. It doesn't make any sense to me, <laughs> and I'm just going to accept that this is... Uh, a thing that the world has passed me by on and I will either have to accept it or move on without participating and I guess we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure that'll be a good time in Chicago. I do enjoy Chicago as an ex-Midwesterner. Spent a decent amount of time there uh, back in my younger days and uh, yeah, good times, good place, good food, hard to complain. Um, anything specific you are looking forward to doing when you get there? Um, I'm not sure offhand. I think for me, it's more about the hangouts with people, you know, um, staying at a friend's place, uh, Wing Tusar and MTGO. Uh, he lives very close to the airport. It'll be nice. Um, you know, the Zoomers will be there. I actually saw a bunch of them last weekend in Denver because basically Matt Nass had everyone at his house for the Super Bowl party, given how uh, that Sunday was it. <laughs> so kind of just uh, good vibes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I uh I'm looking forward to I think there might be plans to double burger on uh for dinner Friday or Thursday night. What? Not exactly sure what's going on, but there there may just be a we eat one good burger and then go to a different good burger place and compare. Um which basically means I'll just spend all Friday meat sweating it out, but we can talk about standard as we go through our predictions. Mm -hmm. Um are you ready to dive into Pioneer? Uh as ready as I'll be because I haven't I've played, like, maybe one and a half leagues in the last two months of the format. <laughs> yeah, it is very weird to just sort of, like, have people not care about the format for a long time and then just sort of tell everybody that this is what they're going to watch and care about. And I don't mm -hmm. really know also when... Like, Pioneer season is months away, so it yep. it really feels like this is just kind of like this one-off showcase event with nothing following or leading into it. Very, very weird. Yeah, I think they had a different vision in mind, um, but it, it didn't really play out. Hmm. What's the best way of putting it? I basically remember when the PTs were like in the middle of PTU season and were the same format. Yeah, I guess is the best way of putting it, if you remember that. And so there was like a noticeable effect, like, oh, 
um, Blue White Desire did well at uh, Pro Tour Columbus. Let's all play that deck for the events surrounding it. You know, Pro, Pro Tour Columbus, Jarvis. What what year was that? Uh, let's let's not uh, let's not let's not name uh, what year it was because it's uh, probably nineteen years ago by this point. If I want to remember correctly, maybe twenty. I think it might only be 18, but it's somewhere in that range. Like, there are probably people playing in this Pro Tour who were not born at the time that that Pro Tour happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Pioneer. Uh, yeah, I am in a similar boat of, like, I have dabbled. I, I still maintain the opinion I've had of, like, the format as it stands now... I have enjoyed playing a lot of decks, but I also understand that every single one of them is extremely toxic, and I don't really understand if it's a good or bad format. But nonetheless, we will continue and persevere, and everyone playing the Pro Tour will be forced to participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, standard prediction, very obvious one. Uh, with that in mind, over under number of unique archetypes in the top eight, 5.5. Uh, when you said standard prediction, you mean prediction for... Pioneer, not standard. for Pioneer. Yes, yes, okay. exactly, Jarvis. No, uh, good uh, question, good point. Clarification: We're talking about Pioneer. Uh, five point five unique archetypes in top eight. I'm going to take the under, but I think the answer is five. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat where I feel like there are multiple decks among the top four that will very easily put up two copies, and it it doesn't take a lot for like oh if like there's just a third Azorius or Phoenix player in the top eight, then it's really hard for this bet to go any other way. I agree. Okay. Um, of those top four decks, uh, recently the best decks have been Azorius Control, Is It Phoenix, Rakdos Midrange, and Lotus Field of various... I don't know. There's just hidden strings in the Lotus Field decks. <laughs> right. Um, which of these decks will have the highest win rate? Oh. Um, all right. I'm going to go with a bold take. Maybe not that bold. And say, Is It Phoenix? As long as they don't run into too many Lotus Field decks. <laughs> okay. I was actually almost going to phrase this question, what deck will have the highest win rate and why is it Lotus Field? Because somehow we can never get away from that deck winning every single event. Well, Or doing the best. So it's funny because at the RCs, that was false. Like basically all the RCs, but that has a lot to do with... Um, what, what's my Player Ca uh, Well, Cascade 2.0, I think, was the real issue for it. Oh, sure. And also, uh, Amalia being a lot more popular at the RCs and not being suppressed by Azorius was a bigger deal for it, I think, as well. Yeah, I was going to cite the untempered presence of Amalia uh, yeah. as a big problem for that deck, but that deck has largely been tempered in the uh, the recent days with a lot of decks that are very capable of defeating it. Um, mm -hmm. Going back to these top four decks, do you say over or under 50% of the field is playing one of them? Uh, I'm going to take under, but it, it, it's going to be like 45%, I think. It'll be very close. Okay, I'm going to take over and say it's going to be 55. Okay, so we are both we both think it's close to 50, but you you just lean one way and I lean the other way, pretty much. Yeah, I I think it's really hard to escape the draw of at least one of these decks. Right. Um, I don't know. It feels like the Pro Tours have condensed a lot more than mm -hmm. a lot of the other events. Um in ways that I think add up to maybe 55 to 58% of the metagame playing one of these four decks. Now, admittedly, when it's four decks, I think it's a lot easier for people to choose the fifth option. Yep. But 
than when it's like two or three decks. But with four, like all of these decks feel like they cover a pretty wide selection of like doing the best at a specific thing. And I, I think that there's a lot to ask if you aren't playing like one of these decks, why mm-hmm. is what you're doing a better version of what one of these decks is doing? Uh, great point. Uh, there was actually an NRG last weekend, Pioneer as well. It's kind of debatable if you actually want to run the same format as the Pro Tour for the pros showing up to that event. But I guess a lot of the pros just play a stocked, a stockish deck in the tournament, so it was fine. Uh, the thing I liked the most out of that tournament was the introduction of Arcturus Charm to the Lotus Field deck. Although I know Cancer has been playing that a lot. Uh, it lets you put in a Traxa and a Dramoka in your main deck, which is kind of nice, I think, as well. Yeah, it seems like a relatively powerful card uh, mm-hmm. across the board. Like, the hidden 5th in 6th modes of having a disenchant when your opponent has yep. a card that is trying to beat your Lotus Field <laughs> is pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, also, I think it, they people get harder put into the squeeze if they should play their Damping Sphere out or not. If they know you have Arcturus Charm in the deck. Because they simply don't have to put the Lotus Field into play until your end step. In which case, well, if there's a Damping Sphere in play, I'll just go get Thespian Stage and set up later. Or, like, blow up your Damping Sphere. Or if you don't, then I'll just make the Lotus Field untap, kill you. You know? Or you can just kill their Damping yeah. Sphere. Yeah, with, well, again, with the... the yeah. mode on Arcturus Charm. Yep. It, it's real nice yeah, for you, the deck. <laughs> a lot of options on that one. Uh... Now, talking about decks that do not fall under that category of strictly worse versions of other stuff, uh, those top four decks notably don't really include an aggro deck. Mm-hmm. There are two aggro decks kind of floating just below the surface, and those are the Is It in Soul deck and mm-hmm. Boros Convoke. Mm-hmm. Which one of those do you think will have a better tournament in terms of win percentage? My suspicion is Boros Convoke will do better simply because I think it's easier to build that deck competently. A, a, a lot of work has been done on that attack. The introduction of four more Thaven Inspectors makes it, I think, um, pretty easy to do the thing if you really want to. And also, like I, I think just a lot of the cards... There's like a lot of good Anthems you can play if you want to go that route. We see that in Standard as well. Uh, it's debatable if you want to play the Anthems in Standard, I guess. We'll we'll get, get to that later. But... I don't know how the Is It in Soul deck should be built. I do. I am aware that there's a lot of cheap artifacts, both in Lost Caverns of Ixalan and this set. I'm not really sure um, if that deck can really compete with Temporary Lockdown, personally, but maybe I just don't understand the deck very well. Okay, well, I have played with the Is It deck, and I'm going to take that side of things. I think that there is a fundamental issue with Boros where mm-hmm. adding a Thraven Inspector does not solve any of the problems it had. Okay. Where I think that the Is It deck is actually competing on the right power level for the format, and the lists have become relatively stock, actually. I don't think Temporary Lockdown is a good situation for it, but it's on the right power level, and I think that aside from Lockdown, there's not a lot of direct... Um, hate aimed at the deck and that was kind of the issue where like if your opponent shows up with um you know some card that is going to exile your artifacts and get them you know your dark seal citadel with an soul on it just out of the game you're gonna have a big problem like the the march of otherworldly lights but i don't actually know how much people are going to respect that specific deck and make choices that uh specifically aim for the things that it's trying to do mm-hmm. uh just a shout out, I think 
we can we can pencil in Max McVitie playing this deck in the Pro Tour. Uh, in fact, when I clicked on the page, it said Max Attack, uh, eight two in Pioneer Showcase Challenge. Is it in Soul Artifact? So I believe this is the list you're referring to, correct? Uh, I think that that might even be like copy pasted off an earlier list. Oh, it's sure. relatively. I, the, there are a few uh, flex slots, but like uh -huh. the core of like, you know, Epicure, Siren, Inti, Copter, Demolition, uh, Shrapnel Blast, and yeah. Soul has been pretty stock. I know that there have been people uh -huh. fiddling with um, the uh, the new sort of in Soul from Ixalan that uh, discovers yeah, when the that, that... artifact dies. I, I'm not sold, but uh, I like. You know, that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, so there's three flex slots of that here. Some lists have um, the new Is It Drake from uh, yep. the latest set from Murders at Carlisle Manor, mm -hmm. where you investigate and whatever you sacrifice an artifact, which happens a little bit with your map and uh, blood tokens, but not a ton. Mm -hmm. It grows. Mm -hmm. So I there's a, there's a little bit of flex, but not yep. a ton. And it's not the slots that matter. Yeah, actually, like... Now that I'm looking at this deck, it actually looks a lot better than I remember it being. Like, re do you remember at RPT Phoenix people played this deck as well? Like, way no, back I on? don't because they were all out of the tournament because it was <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah, it wasn't great, but some people played it. Um, yeah, I it looks kind of terrifying to play. Inti seems fantastic for the deck, is what I would say. Uh, I think one of the issues with Insoul Artifact in the past is sometimes it was hard to force through enough attacks with it. I mean, obviously, Shrapnel Blast is nice to finish people off, but you do need to hit them a few times with your scissors to get to that point. Yeah, I the main thing I would do is I don't love the the fact the sideboard has bias towards, like, weird, expensive threats. Like, I understand that Ferocidon is a card to beat Amalia, but, like, mm -hmm. when your sideboard is, like, Hazoret Ferocidon in your deck that's relatively tight on mana and, like, already looking for ways to dispose of lands, I, I'm kind of sketchy there on that entire uh, exchange. I agree with you. I think I would probably just play fourth Rending Volley before the first Ferocidon, but uh, well, what, what do I know? Uh, you might split it with a different one-mana removal spell sure. for other matchups, but I, I get the vibes there. Uh, on the note of Vali, uh, let's start talking about Amalia and ranking the best-performing mm. combo decks. Uh, so, the options are Amalia, Lotus Field, Quintarius, and Creativity. Which one do you think will have the best win record, or win rate? Oh, um... Great question. I, I kind of think it's just Lotus Field, honestly. Um... I do not think Creativity is a great deck, frankly, in uh, Pioneer. Um, Amalia, I think... The issue with Amalia is... I think the Azorius matchup is actually unfixable. I don't think there's really any way to fix it. Uh, I, I've, I've looked at a lot of lists. It just seems impossible to me based on the structure of both decks. And the Quintorius deck, well... I don't really see how that deck could be good, even with the, like, the weird Gear Hulk like outburst uh creative outburst slash magma opus plan it seems seems like the deck is just not very good to me still i think you are underwriting the quintorius deck slightly i think the answer is lotus field i think you are sort of right on creativity where i actually think that creativity has some decent positioning against the top decks but like the the rakdos the fact that like rakdos and is are two of the top decks and like oh, they yeah. both have reasonable ways to just shred that deck mm -hmm. is dicey um but, like, I don't mind the creativity versus, like, Strings and Azorius setup and, like, sure. a lot of the other lower-tier decks where, like, it's well-positioned. The Quintorius deck is is just mega weird where, like, 
you actually you just lose to like the exact opposite of what you would expect to lose to uh it would not surprise me to see someone in like the top 16 with this deck but also mm -hmm. it's uh not fundamentally very good i think is a reasonable assessment of it but it, it's better than you're giving it credit for okay. and I, I agree i don't think amalia is just not good against the top deck spread like sure. even if you beat the the lotus field decks what are you doing from there uh i, I don't know i think at, at the RCI I played, I think Amalia was decent versus Rakdos, but there was a lot of room for Rakdos to improve if they understood how to build their deck. Yeah, that was also, like, two weeks after yeah. the deck was released, or came yeah. out. And, like, uh -huh. I guess they had banned... Uh, Appraiser by that point. Yeah. <laughs> the card that didn't really exist. Uh, on I guess, talking about some of these fringe decks, if you had to fill in the blank for a fringe deck that made top eight, what would you guess? Oh, um, I guess let's look. Why does Goldfish still have Greasefang? That deck is not very good. Uh, I guess my pick would be Devotion with Leyland of the Guild Pact. I think, uh, I think one person will just, might run well enough to get there. And honestly, like, the big creatures that that deck has access to are pretty good. Like, even World Oddity kills really freaking fast if you've ever transformed that thing. I think a lot of cube players have done so, and that card <laughs> is pretty egregious there. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Niv to Light. I okay. I think that that deck is better than it looks. I have been really down on that deck in the past, sure. but I think that specifically the lists that have allowed themselves to open back up and play Niv Mizzet have um, been a lot more uh, exciting and interesting than the lists that just have no way to win the game. Uh, one quick thing about that deck. I think Deadly Cover-Up from the new set is actually a good pickup for the deck. Yeah, because you can bring to light for it, and it's yep. basically auto-collected. Like, you need a card in your graveyard, and then you just get the Extraction and the Wrath in one. Yeah, and I think that effect's pretty powerful versus... Like, we just named a bunch of decks that have a namesake creature in them, right? So, pre pretty nice to yeah. do that stuff. This is why I was so high on the end previously, and yep. I just think that the the format like got a little too aggressive for decks to just have an expensive removal spell. But what you're describing is a lot of the same effect. Yeah, I'm kind of terrified to see what would happen to a dom domain player if their Shraxes got deadly cover up in game one, uh, like from like a Demir control deck. Oh, in standard, you're saying? Yeah. Well, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah. First, uh, any closing thoughts on Pioneer? Because we're going to step into draft. Um, I think Azorius is going to be the most played deck by a reasonable amount. And uh, I hope people play fast for their own sake. Because Azorius Mirror is not that fast in game one. And also, uh, if you're... Well, it, well, a lot of caveats This might there. be a me thing. This sure. might be a me thing. Also, in fairness, I have not played the matchup since the printing of Get Lost. At which point, it's basically impossible to establish a Planeswalker. And then yep. nothing happens. And also, okay. no, um, I guess a few key things for Pro Tour players listening to this who might play the PT. Try to avoid getting your memory deluge no moralized. It's pretty disastrous. Because like, before, if they like make Dispirit, you're like, whatever, like five turns later, I'll flash it back. But if you get it no moralized, well, that's way less good for you, is what I would say. Yeah, how do you feel about... Uh when you play your field of runes in the mirror like are you supposed to just be straight up holding them so that you can play them as an instant removal spell for their like castle or restless anchorage or are you supposed to be 
leading them off with the idea that your opponent also has a limited number of field of runes to use and if they use one on yours then that's whatever i think it's like whatever now because most of the lists have moved away from having like six of that type effect to like down to three so i don't think you'll get field your field will get fielded very often i mean like it'll have a non-zero amount and the reason there's less fields is like if you have a million colorless lands in your deck you might not be able to cast no more lies on turn two right that's fair that has been a big shift and i guess similarly with like that is also cut into the number of castle ardenvales in your opponent's list yeah i i think a lot of people cut that card but left the vantress because vantress is just kind of better in the deck like in the non-mirror matches yeah i mean in the mirror like the stream of tokens if unanswered is going to yeah. actually kill your opponent but vantress is also just generally good across the board yep okay draft how much have you drafted this set a reasonable amount, and I played a lim- I played uh, a limited RCQ last weekend, and it went pretty well for me. I've also done a played? few. Played, played you. You won, right? Yeah, but you know we can't spoil it all the way. But I mean, I opened Angel of Serenity both in sealed deck and in uh, draft, so <laughs> I don't know. Like that card is really egregious. What, what's an Angel of Serenity, Jarvis? I don't know. That's from a set ten years ago. Okay. Actually. 12 years ago aurelia's vindicator which is basically angel of serenity but if you could pay three mana up front and then pay the rest later yeah i have a i've played against that card it is it's not gone well no you usually die one of the matches i just cast it like face up and my opponent's like oh that's a problem because they had already used their murder on something else so then they just kind of died to it which is kind of nice anyways uh i've, I've drafted a fair amount and it I would say, hmm, I guess some draft advice. Y'all are probably playing too few lands in your deck, if I had to guess. I would skew towards more than less, especially if you have expensive morph costs, like five or six. Um, this is just like, you know, old cons of Tarkir slash Onslaught, like, you know, old heuristics. And also, there's a lot of like 2.5 color decks, which also incentivizes you to play a few more lands, so... You know, just a lot, a lot of things to think about. The the rares are pretty egregious, I won't lie. Um, and the list cards are both, mostly nonsense. Like, they're mostly not very good. Uh, Well, I mean, two of the, like, top ten cards in the set are list on commons, right? Um, I guess I'll believe you, but I did not Enlisted actually... Worm is pretty massive. I mean, they're basically oh, mythic sure. rares at the rate sure, they show sure. up. Like, okay. there's Enlisted Worm and then Maverick Thopterist, which are just stone-cold unbeatable. I don't think I've ever seen anyone cast Maverick Thopterist versus me, so I didn't know it was in set. I knew Death Cloud was in the set. The person uh, sitting across me at Deck Ridge opened one. He's like, what the hell is this? I'm like, it's the list, was my response. Uh, and then he decided to put it in a sealed deck, and that probably is not what you want to do, uh, generally speaking. Yeah, I, I guess there's also a tireless tracker, which is probably just oh, egregiously that, that, unbeatable. That, but that basically is a you know, it, it's like sure. opening a soul ring in a in a sealed deck back in oh, uh, college. You bro. just instantly win when that happens. No, you don't. But let's not let's not bring that one back up. Um, I, Jarvis, yeah. who could that have happened to and just open soul ring and not win with it? I I don't that, understand. Uh, how that was that, me. But uh, J- Steve, that was you, Jarvis. Yeah, you you. We knew where the story was going. But Steve oh, Neal opened it with Aether's Feared Harvester in his deck as well, so that went a lot better for him. 
Yeah, I guess Smuggler's Copter also in the random assortment of cars that someone could, in theory, open. Oh my gosh, tour, that's... Which is absolutely egregious. Well, you um, have to you have to sneak into Arena somehow, right? That That's true. You could not just declare that it's in a set and just have it there. It has to exist in some other way for... I, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. What I am going to worry about is which... So, I think the general consensus is that white is the best color in the format. Yeah. Do you have any disagreements with that? Uh... I mean, I'll give my personal ranking. I think it goes white, red, then blue and green are tied, then black is the worst. Okay. I think a lot of people have green maybe a bit higher, but everyone kind of has white as the best, black is the worst, and then blue clearly not the second best. But which of the white decks do you think will have the most trophies? Uh, Boros, because A... Well, sorry. I, I guess it's the most straightforward deck, and... Even if it's contested by, like, one other person, it's still pretty darn good because all of its commons are, like, pretty broken. Um, Dog Walker is very important to the deck. On the job, having, like, one or two copies is pretty important. And it's honestly hard to get a bad version of that deck. Unless if you're, like, super, super, super contested, is what I would say. I think the answer would be if you're not supposed to be in white, you could have a bad version. I'm sure. actually going to vote for Azorius, though. I think the Azorius uncommons are pretty messed oh, up sure. and a reason to be in the deck. Um, but well, I think those are the two best ones. I think, I guess, Orzo and Celestia are also just good. Like, this is why sure. white is the best color. Like, yeah, it has the best cards and also has the best decks. Well, it's also, like, I think all of the white decks are fine to draft because white is so good. It didn't really matter what color you paired it with as long as that color is, like, sort of open. If you get paid off with some uncommon... That's like white X, like private eye tabled in the draft I was in. So that's why I moved in. Like, basically, uh, I'll describe the RCQ draft uh, I was in. I actually first picked a green card. Then no green cards came. Then I, like, picked some black cards. Then I picked some white cards. And then pack two, I opened the Angel of Serenity, you know, morph. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be white. And then private eye tabled ninth from that pack. So I knew I was supposed to be, like, Azorius or, like, some nonsense, you know, 2.5 color aggro deck. But yeah, uh, like basically all of the the gold uncommons for each of the white decks are quite good. Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, what's the gold uncommon for Boros besides Helix, right? Well, Lightning Helix is pretty good, right? Okay, fair enough. It's hard to argue there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Drain Angel in Orzov is really good. Yep. Uh Selesnya has the two-drop that grows on, on morphs, which is pretty good. Yeah, that, all pretty good. Uh, on the flip side of things that are pretty good, do you think a Rakdos deck will get a trophy? With Rakdos being, I think, decidedly the worst deck across everyone that I've heard talk about the format? Hmm. I think Golgari might be worse, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, how many people are in this Pro Tour? That's the real question. How many draft pods are we going to see? That's a great question. I don't have a good answer. The answer appears to be 260 or 261. 261. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you can safely assume there will be 30 draft pods. So I think there will be one Rakdos trophy. I think that I would also agree with the yes, barely, I'm getting trophy. <laughs> the numbers are too yeah. good, but I think the deck is just really, really bad. So I have a funny story, which is uh, Rachel Feingersh, friend of the podcast, uh, 
she had Rectus in play versus me. I let her draw six cards and killed her six three turns later. And also in this RCQ, my opponent had Rectus out versus me. I let them draw two cards, then I killed them two turns later. So <laughs> I don't think that's supposed to happen yeah. very often, but that is literally the namesake card for the deck. You know, it, it's just kind of funny. Uh, I, I'm memeing a little bit because both of the times, the Rakdos, the deck that had Rakdos was a base green deck, not a Rakdos deck, which is, I think, a much better home for the card. Yeah, Sam Black recently podcasted about how, like, um, because I think this is something that I sort of complained about with play boosters. Um, because of the overlap of, like, all the multicolored rares are unbeatable and yep. there's more of them per draft but like also people can't just take them it's a reasonable strategy just to put yourself in a spot where you get to take multicolored rares and put them in your deck and that's just a strategy that exists because of how play boosters and sets are designed um which doesn't seem like a great thing to have at that level of reliability but uh if it's just rakdos it's fine i think if like the rares are tulsimir level it's not fine tulsimir is not okay that card is really most of the rares that are well i would say most of the rares are at least good that are gold uh in this format and some of them are just egregious like uh what oh i played against vanifer it's like what the hell is this like i did not kill it and then i died very quickly you know is that the one that lets you like morph cards from your hand yeah and then they get counters like you're basically discounting three mana per turn or like antheming all of your morphs yeah, the one that I forgot about was um, Agris Coast, the one the oh, like, sure. kill yep. your creatures Titan. Yeah, that card is just pretty screwed. Well, <laughs> I played against that plus convenient target, so I was literally dead by turn 5 because I started getting Necrotold by turn 5 every turn. Did uh, yeah, convenient I... target being the red aura, you know, enchant something, it gets suspected. Then two and a red rebuy it from your graveyard to your hand. So it's like, it works out perfectly with that... Uh, that mythic rare yeah that is quite the combo it is weird to me that the aura does not grant suspect or something but Correct. i guess that's just how the mechanic works but it is mm -hmm. kind of funky i i don't have issues with it it just looks weird um that does it for draft in terms of predictions do you have another one you would like to slap down or is is that seem good for this format is is fun but it doesn't feel it's uh it's not flashy I think is the way to describe I agree. it. I think this is maybe a bad version of March of the Machine is how I feel about it. Um, oh, I'm not that's sure. not how I feel about it at all. Well, I I think making morphs with extra text like Ward 2, it's kind of an unclean design to me because most people just default to putting nothing on their morphs anyways. So if you end up into games where there are morphs and disguised creatures and manifests and quote creatures it's just kind of a mess i kind of wish it hadn't been done but uh that's just my two cents on it i kind of have the reverse opinion where i think that adding ward 2 to disguise is something that doesn't really fundamentally change like you were saying like i don't understand what it does but in practice it actually changes a ton about how the mechanic plays out and how the games play out and like how you're supposed to play with your disguise creatures um like I don't plan on playing in the limited RCQ, but my sure. I did some I've done a decent amount of play just to practice in case I have to, or not RCQ, PTQ, whatever it is. Sure. And my experience was basically that like 
in cons a lot of so i just want to compare this to cons because both mm -hmm. sets follow the same idea of like if a morph gets into combat with another morph or disguise creature um and someone flips one up if it's less than five mana the player who flips up the morph like it's still going to trade or they're going to yeah. bounce off there's not going to be a straight up mm -hmm. you know one morph beats the other um and because of the ward the format is a lot less destructive in terms of the board states um which weirdly means that like you are punished more for ever flipping up a morph instead of taking other game actions because yep. it's more convenient for your opponent to use removal on something that you turned up yep. at which point like the the disguise creatures are almost flip cards or split cards where like you have the morph aspect of them and then the cast them aspect mm -hmm. and you're largely supposed to turn them face down with the intent of them dying in combat uh without ever flipping which is the again the exact reverse of cons where like you play a morph they play a morph and like you positionally kind of tactically are like well should i trade should i not trade like my monastery flock is going to block and eat their turn or something like that mm -hmm. and then like all this stuff happens and then you're supposed to start flipping stuff on like turns five and six and then casting them from your hand and that's like the exact reverse of this set which i really enjoyed like how the ability that shouldn't really do anything also just completely turns the entire mechanic on its head my my complaint wasn't uh why does this exist or whatever i just don't like it when you mix it with the original morph and stuff because the tracking of that is kind of messy and no one really tracks it very well that's what i would say i i think when like was the last time you morphed a creature though cube probably like i i kind of just don't like there being another instance of that in audit cubes it'll be i don't know i guess this is like mostly just boomer old man yelling at clouds I think that's just like a design mix and match thing. Like that's mm -hmm. up to the cube designer to decide whether they want exalted angel or cryptic coat. And if they have both, that's a personal problem. <laughs> Definitely agree there. Okay, cool. Uh, I think that exits draft and we're on to the uh, spiciest per, uh, portion of this, which is the players portion, which actually have less of this time than before. I huh. think that just the mix of players playing has changed enough from the like mpl cooldown days that uh there's a couple narratives but not quite as many of like i don't know getting to make fun of which pick your own pro but there's still a few good ones which i think we'll start with a positive one and say the number of top eight players at this event who had a pro tour top eight in the last year so not the world's top eighters but the 24 play or let's see count the double ups 20 to 24 players who had a Pro Tour Top 8 last year. Over, under 1.5 repeats in this Top 8. I'll take the over because I think it's 2. I think so too with the smaller Pro Tours. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if this was like a more... I don't want to say traditional because it really... The whole structure has changed. But if it's closer to like the 400-person Pro Tours, you say 1. But if mm -hmm. it's... If it's, you know... I guess those were also 4-year. I guess 24... Yeah, the math probably works out such that if mm -hmm. you had a three Pro Tour year in the old system of 400 players, I would also say one repeat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I uh, I think that the system, and also just like we're talking about this where like more players who have less of a long-term pedigree are in these events, I think that leaves a lot of the people who had top eights last year who were on the back of like MPL cooldown performances and things like that and just top eight Pro Tours again and continued on, mm -hmm. it leaves them with a better chance than they would have had before. I don't want to say the Pro Tour is softer because a lot of the people there are very good, 
But I think the the top of the top is more distance from the rest of the pack than it used to be. I think I agree with that as well. Yeah. So uh, a a favorite category is coming back. <laughs> we we've got people's champ, and I've mm -hmm. I've got three choices for you for who will have the best result. We've got a Pro Tour champion Jake Beardsley, uh, a Pro Tour finalist. Christian Calcano with an arbitrary number of O's that you can extend in your own mind because <laughs> yelling it does not really work in a podcast format. And then we have Tommy Ashton, a.k.a. Stanerson. Am I picking first? Uh, I have already made my pick, so go ahead. Uh, I will pick one Thomas Stanerson Ashton. Okay, there's no personal bias in the fact that we both picked Tommy, right? And it's all pressure on him, and he definitely does not listen <laughs> to the podcast, so he'll never hear it. Correct. Um, good, I, good. I, I, there's a few reasons too. I think like, well, actually I don't know about Pioneer for him really, but I think this draft format is probably one he, where he's been doing pretty, pretty well if I had to guess. Uh, I would also believe that Calcano has a pretty good advantage in this. Sure. And I, I think Jake's been playing forever. So like, I think all three of them are in decent spots for this draft format, mm -hmm. but also at the same time, I just want to root for Tommy. I mean... Really, I'm just committing my rooting interest. There's no preference here beyond that. Mm, I see. That's probably not true, but it's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I think I found a good way to uh, break up a, a previous section of the podcast where I just kept voting for Dom and you kept voting for Hain, which is the misplaced ginger scale, where uh, our goal is to rank each of them over and under misplaced ginger's result because all three of them are playing at this pro tour. Oh really? Wow, Canada yep. really, Canada's really showing its. Uh, um, I'm gonna take over for both, actually. Okay, good, good. I'm glad we're in the same just, boat here. I don't again. think it's close, honestly. I, uh, think... I, you know, Dom might show up playing uh, Slogurk and Pioneer. You never know. So, okay, that's true. Well, uh, I will say that I think, um, I think Hain definitely will have the edge and limited over basically all all uh both ginger and dom and then like i think dom will be slightly better than ginger and limited and then who knows what will happen besides that like uh, pioneer is kind of wild wild west you know yeah it it is uh i agree but at the same time i the limited gap is just so much here. I, yeah. I you know, do, nothing against, you know, Ginger and Dom, but like... I, I agree. Uh, I, the, the, the 6-0 angry Hain is going to come back, I think, at this one. I think so, too. I also think this is the type of format where Hain will not get too bored. I think that's his problem in general. If a format's not very interesting, he'll just stop playing and not practice because he'll be bored. Like, that just happens very quickly for him, I think, generally speaking. Yep. That sounds accurate and sounds very uh, agreeable to his general Twitter threads these days. I mean, I think he really just don't doesn't want to practice magic if at all possible, generally speaking. Like, I think when he topped it with Esper Legends, he really was using that first few rounds as playtesting and hadn't touched the deck before. But, like, honestly, Esper Legends for Hain, that's, like, a pretty straightforward deck to grok what's going on and figure out how he wants to position himself in matches you know yeah i mean he's gonna pick it up faster than basically 90 to 95 percent of the people at the pro tour probably higher than that that's kind of his thing yeah 
Okay. Yeah. Now this one, I'm going to give you uh, three minutes of clock time for research, and we'll cut that out of the podcast. But I, I've got a fun one, and it, it's a draft, and it's uh, the title of the draft in uh, in a nice Jeopardy category is Aldefer. Oh. So you're going to go to the list of players who qualified for this Pro Tour by deferring a previous Pro Tour invite. If you just control F for defer on the yep. page that I linked. Yep. And we are going to draft three players. Would you like first pick or the wheel? I'll take the wheel. Okay. And uh, whoever has the most players with a 10-6 finish or better wins. Mm-hmm. And clock starts now. And we're back. Okay, Jarvis. With my first pick that you have given me, I will select Logan Nettles. <laughs> Darren. Yeah, I thought that might happen. All right. There's still plenty of good ones left, actually. All right. Yeah, I was able to... There was like 30 or so players, and we're only drafting three, and I came up with a list of like 12 or so that I'd be willing to draft without even necessarily knowing all the players. Sure. I'm taking Matt Sperling and Andres Prost. Strong, just selecting the people who have top eights? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like... <laughs> I I think... Um, Andres has been playing a reasonable amount recently, and has like pretty good fundamentals i would say and matt obviously you know has a lot of pro tour success and i don't know if he actually worked with a big team this time that might actually be a better indicator of his success or not but uh we'll see what happens okay well i will select max McVitie, uh and then i will also select Ooh, this is this is where it gets tough. I think. I yeah, I think you I can agree. just slap down Max and just like see how toxic he gets. <laughs> and uh, I think I'll select Abe Stein as my last pick. Oh, I was actually going to take him as the feel good Maryland last pick if you had let me, but I suppose you did. It's instead. close. There's a lot of good feel good picks yeah. in this last pick, and yeah, I was torn I... between three of them. And we can discuss this after. I agree. Um, now I need to. Hmm. Jarvis, you said you were ready. Yeah, I'll take Brian Boss. Okay, that was my other feel-good pick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've probably mentioned him a few times on the show, but Brian Boss is just someone who I've vaguely known such associated with for a very long time just mm-hmm. through some incidental Kansas City connections and mm-hmm. uh, has always overperformed any expectation anyone has had of him. Uh, yeah, really impressive player. Uh, in terms of feel good, I would not fault you for taking Sol Malka though. A great feel good last pick there. <laughs> That's true. The Rock himself, the the innovator of the Rock himself, I suppose, is uh, he's been doing pretty well in these tournaments uh, recently. I think I'm o one versus him lifetime. I believe he I'm one o. He limited. Whoa! How how did it happen? Let's see. What uh, did I this play was. Him? This was the GP the weekend before I learned how to play the format. Ah, I defeated him at Grand Prix Nashville 2010, which was Scars of Mirrodin alone did. I'm actually looking this up to see if I played him more than that one time, but he beat the crap out of me with... Yeah, nope, this was it. His deck had five Jeskai Wind Scouts, and I died terribly. Good card Did not for end powers. very well. Yeah, right. He actually lost in the semifinals of that GP, so yeah, good event for him. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So we have moved on from the Pro Tour, and I've got a quick couple of uh, wrap-ups to kind of give our opinion of Standard before this tournament that we play in. Um, and of these three cards, which one do you think will have the most copies in Top 8? Sunfall, Novice, Inspector, or Go for the Throat? I will suck Go for the Throat, and I do not think it'll be close. Yeah, I'm going to say the same. I yeah. think that over a... I, so... 
I don't think Cascade is a bad deck. Or not Cascade. Uh, Convoke is a bad deck. Mm-hmm. I really actually like the deck, but I think it's exploitable. Mm-hmm. I think that Azorius and Domain are both not good decks, but they can beat stuff. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that over an iterated 15-round freaking tournament, the black decks are just going to do really well. I the people with, with the good black decks playing well will just win a lot, and there will be a lot of go-for-the-throats. Even if these decks have, like, two go-for-the-throats, a bitter triumph, a three cutdowns, and a long goodbye or whatever is their removal, mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, like, it's just really hard to compete with the black decks on that note, even though Sunfall is a four-of and Novice Inspector is a four-of. One thing I think that should be worth noting is I think the better domain players have started shaving Sunfalls for Depopulate, and the reason is mostly the Boros stack, and the fact that, okay, so suppose your deck is only temporary lockdowns and Sunfalls, you're actually exploitable on turn four sometimes, where your opponents can just like place all, all of their creatures out and not expect to get Wrath on four, but if you split your Sunfalls and Depops, it's a lot harder for them to do that, and then they get punished some of the time because i i think if you start looking at the domain decks iterating now they've started moving in that direction to split the the deep ops and sunfalls for that very reason that makes some sense uh i more than that i think that there's actually more of an issue where like uh if your opponent just leaves up break the spell for your lockdown on three you just die before your sunfall resolves Oh, that that's a that's related to the Boros thing too. Yeah, like I agree with you. Lockdown is sometimes a huge liability, but if they don't like overcommit, sometimes you're not even forced to lockdown. Like you can just like discard your herd migration, gain three, and then like bridge to being barely alive to cast your sweeper. If that makes sense. Yeah, but I I don't think you have to uh over like. When it specifically break the spell, also uh, invasion of Gobicon's a hell of a card. I don't, I don't oh, think yeah. you have to like undercommit that hard for this issue. Also, sure. I will say that there's kind of an issue with uh, like invasion versus Sunfall compared to invasion versus Depop. Sure. So moving on from those decks and specifically focusing on the Sunfall decks, I want to focus on Azorius, but I want to focus on a specific decision in Azorius because the deck is exceptionally boring. Other than this. <laughs> how many main deck jaces will there be among the top eight azorius decks because otherwise game one of the mirror does not end ever oh i see so i think the problem is the more jaces and you play the worse you get versus other decks um where my line I, is 2.5 by the way jarvis will there be I'm, more or less than 2.5 i'll take under and say two we'll take under and say two yeah I think I'll take over. There are lists floating around that have three, and it just takes one freak to have three sure, in their deck, yeah. and then it's just over. Yeah, I... Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm smallballing it, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick with it. You can also just fully respect blue-white and say, no, under two, they're just like, will be a half a copy in the top eight, and they just sure. won't even have Jace. But, I, I think that's know, actually we'll more likely, yeah. Uh, moving on to the go-for-the-throat section of the metagame. Which of these decks will have the most copies in the top 32? These are specifically the non-Esper black decks. So <laughs> sure. I don't really... Like, Esper is going to be the most popular yeah, black yeah. deck, the winning... it, Like, the most populous black deck among the top decks. But of Demir, Rakdos, and Golgari, which one will have the most copies in top 32? I think I'm going to go with uh, Demir, personally. I think uh, it, people will gravitate towards that more than... Uh, Golgari Erectus, because I think 
they are that deck is perceived to be better versus domain than the other two are uh it is it is better versus domain I'm still going to vote for Golgari. I actually don't really understand what Demir is doing in the metagame right now, mm -hmm. especially because I think that it takes a significant hit to its Convoke matchup relative to every other, like, the Rakdos and Golgari decks have that matchup on lock, and Demir feels sketchy as hell in that matchup. So you're really just, like, trying to make the statement that you believe that you gain enough against uh, Azorius and domain and that's worth like losing the convoke matchup and i i don't think it is because again this goes back to i think convoke mm -hmm. is a fundamentally good deck and conceding the matchup is not very good i see so can you explain i guess why golgarian rectors have the boros matchup on lock uh i think that with rakdos and golgari um there's actually this really problematic tension for boros where both of these decks are built to be low to the ground as well and not only are they trying to overcome the fact that, like, the these decks are playing better... Like, you just have, like, Harvester into Preacher or uh, Dread Knight into Sentinel. And, like, the Boros deck has to overcome that on a base level. But then you mix those with the Rass. And you just end up in this spot where, like, you're trying to play against a deck where you have to do something to overwhelm their early plays while also dodging getting Plague Winded. And that bind just doesn't work. It just It just doesn't work out. I see. So it's because the creatures are slightly bigger than yours, which is already problematic. And the fact that they have, like, Night Clover or something equivalent to that, and it becomes basically impossible to win. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly, it's really pronounced in the Rakdos matchup, where what yeah. happens a lot of the time is that your opponent plays an Archfiend in the draws, and you just, like, may as well concede the game, because if you attack, you die, and if you don't attack you die and you also can't kill it and yeah just pack it on in mm. that makes a lot yeah. of sense uh I, I do think a fair number of people will still play boros and just hope not to play those matchups i guess is what the it sounds like they should i don't do, think that's right? bad i think that's yeah. totally fine i think that mm -hmm. just playing like boros is really good and these should not be reasons you don't play it i just think that golgari and rakdos are better decks and i think of the two I've had issues with Rakdos. I just, I don't think the deck is fundamentally a sound against this red. I don't think Hogari's a good deck. I'm just going to put that out there. But I think it's just got good vibes. I, I don't really know what to say about it besides that. So both, I'm putting it, this that's my pick. Both you and Owen Bogan uh, have said that. They, you don't understand why it's good. You keep winning with it. I will not touch it, um, which is probably good for you because I can bring you some of the cards for it. Yeah, I, I don't understand the gold garbage deck, and I don't have enough time to do so, and that's fine, you know? I also don't understand it, and I have been playing it. It doesn't make any sense. Don't worry about it. Trying to understand is a bad idea. Yeah, I, I think for me personally, um, I am going to play Demir or Domain, but I have uh, some inside information about Demir from the one CCR grindcast. He's been playing it a lot with Invasion of Mom and Cat. He says he mostly likes his matchups except for game one versus Boros, which is uh, obviously a really soft spot for the deck. Yeah, I mean, that's a fine place to have a soft spot. It, the, again, another deck that is good vibes for sure. Mm -hmm. um, on to decks that are nothing but vibes. We got the wild card round. Uh, okay. Of these absolute wild cards, which one do you think will have the highest best finisher? We have Bant Toxic. The Gurk and reenact the crime. 
Well, okay. I'm writing off Reenact the Crime because I do not think that deck is very good. Like, <laughs> full stop, I just do not believe it is a good magic deck. I think Slowgurk got worse because people are actually trying to go faster nowadays. Like, and well, one of the appeals to Slowgurk is basically given enough time, it can outgrind all of the decks in the format. Like, it, you just like spend one mana to like do 9,000 things per turn and they eventually lose. Uh, Bant, I think, also got significantly worse because uh, I don't know if you ever played that deck against Boros. It's really, really, really unpleasant. And basically all of the wins for the Bant deck versus Boros are double Rock Priest plus March. You you mean the 1-2 is good against the deck of 1-1s that have to deal damage to their opponent? Yeah, but a lot of the times the the Rock Priest isn't even good enough because you get like overrun by like Imidane's Recruiter or like the the white case before you can even establish your fireball, you know. You you mean the deck just doing what it does and performing the normal it, game exactly. actions is too much for you? Yes. Yeah. So so which of these three are you voting for? You just immediately dismissed all three of them. I'm I'm still voting for Gurk, but I think it's just not great all around for all three of them, frankly. Okay, I'm gonna take reenact the crime because I think the Gurk players are all gonna be like oh oh and four by the end of round five not all of them well one of them will be able to play their deck fast enough or concede i'm pretty sure that player is going to be in the pro tour uh that's a great point are we talking about dom uh i i was gonna say dom or or jason iltg or uh yeah there's not a lot of people left after that i guess you just have like cft sock does CFT Sock actually play fast? I, I don't know if they play fast at all. I know, like, MTGO Sign... They, Sonic, they top a tournament with a deck that looks like it should be slow, so therefore they play fast enough, right? Maybe they don't play Slowgurk fast enough. It's hard to tell, because every time I've watched a game of theirs, the board state's so messy. Oh, you know who CFT Sock's board states remind me of? Bing Luke. <laughs> it's the exact same sort of online messiness that happens... Okay. I thought you were going to say, like, the Seth Manfield where the cards are just, like, upside down inside each oh, other's no. sleeves. No, no. <laughs> Seth is messy in a different way, but Bing's board seats were unparsable. <laughs> okay, I don't recall seeing a physical Bing Luke board state ever. I just recall seeing a lot of photos in the Moto Photos group on Facebook <laughs> back in those days. Right, right. Okay, uh, with that, I think that brings me to the end of our predictions, and we'll be back, you know... Well, Jarvis won't be back. It's this typical thing where I get to pretend that neither of us ever won if I lose or just yell at Jarvis if he did and make fun of him and he can't ever contest (laughs) it. Um, Do you have anything else that you want to cover between uh, these formats? Or I guess technically there's also like big modern and legacy events that you could potentially throw something Uh, in the mix for? Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'll say like one paragraph about modern, one about legacy. Modern right now to me... It's one of the most boring formats I've seen in a long time. And I think it really has to do with the... Uh, I, I think the elephant's about out of the bag where Cascade's great. like, And Cascade makes formats really, elephants? really... What? Elephants, Jarvis? El- elephants is the is the is what you chose was out of the bag yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. I just I wanted to just put that out there that you, you chose elephants for the Crashing Footfalls deck. Oh, I guess... The rhinos are out of the bag. 
sure. Okay. All right. Good, good. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I think in that tournament, the people who are really trying to win will play Rhinos or Living End, if I had to guess. Uh, yeah, yeah probably true. Now, Legacy, um, I don't I don't really know. I, I think probably if I had to play a Legacy tournament tomorrow, I'd play four color with Triumph of St. Catherine, which is the Miracle Baneslayer for one and a white. And I would probably have up the Beanstalk in my deck as well. So, I don't know. Just do whatever you want. Of course, like, you can play combo if you want. That's probably the best deck versus four-color decks. But I don't know if you ever played combo against Grief, Reanimate Grief. It's really, really, really not very fun. <laughs> no, it isn't. I would probably play something with Name Sticker Goblin. But also, that would involve knowing how that card works in paper. So, tough call. Tough call. Fair enough. With that, Jarvis, would you like to, uh, you know, do the usual end of the podcast thing, share your socials, talk about what you've got upcoming, which is basically this tournament, I guess, uh, and then close on out? Yeah. Um, you know, thanks everyone for, for uh, listening to me. You can find me on Twitter at JKYU06, uh, Twitch JarvisU, YouTube JarvisU. Uh, I still am looking for people to coach if you want to just talk about anything in Magic. I think even by this point, I'm comfortable talking about standard and pioneer to some degree a few years ago i would not have said that <laughs> i will not lie um and also i think this march i'm going to try to have a um cancer fundraising thing on my stream for the entire month so uh check that out please and uh any amount will help you know cancer sucks it affects everyone you know it's really hard to find an american not touched by cancer in some way for the worst that sounds like a good thing and we will be sure to share more details about that as it comes up in um what two months or so we'll probably have more details uh sooner than that um but in terms of me you can find me here next week hopefully with dom in case he is you know it doesn't look like he's gonna get stowed into chicago but i guess if he is then i'll i'll be there with him and i can hunt him down and force <laughs> him by uh I don't know, T-Rex Tooth or whatever they do in Chicago to record a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but until then, everyone have a great week and uh, keep an eye and root for Jarvis in Chicago, uh, root for Dom in Chicago and uh, root for, I guess, I don't know, I'm probably playing a bad standard deck. So save your rooting interest somewhere else and just let me do my thing. <laughs>